You know, we create this situation where you've got to sit in your desk and you're not meant to be fidgeting, you're not meant to be doodling, you're not allowed to go to the toilet, you're not allowed to chat to your friend. And then we say, and why are they why are they upset? You know, they can't they can't regulate themselves in that environment. We we've taken away the ability to regulate themselves. Hello and welcome to Behind the Mother Mass. I'm your host, Annie Breen, registered nutritional therapist, master NLP practitioner, and transformational coach for exhausted mums who don't feel enough. My mission with this podcast is to lead with vulnerability by starting to lift the psychological mask you wear each day that protects you and others from the stuff that's hard to explain and talk about. It's about sharing from the middle, not just the open wounds or the healed scabs, but the messy middle. Let's go for honesty over perfection, because I believe when you transform yourself, you automatically transform your relationships and parenting by passing down wisdom, not wounds. So if you're up for that, you definitely don't need to do it alone. I'm here to lead you on what could be the greatest adventure of your life, behind the mother mask, back home to yourself. Hello, how are you? Welcome back to episode 32 of Behind the Mother Mask. And this is... Um, my first guest of 2023. And oh my goodness, how timely. Before I get into the formal introduction, let me just give you a bit of background here. So if you've been following the podcast or maybe more the emails as well, because on, on my email list, I'll put the link to where you can sign up. I share my life story in a week. And there's a little bit more of the, the outtakes of life, shall we say, the behind the scenes, if you want to call it that, or let's just call it life. Um, you will know about my education journey as a family, not just my education, um, but my child's. <laughs> Our education journey, let's just call it that. And the focus of the conversation today is my child is not fine at school. And I was actually scrolling social media, as you do, and I saw a post that my friend had posted from Naomi Fisher. And I clicked on because I resonated and I saw that she had this course. Honestly, it couldn't be any more timely. Talk about the universe um, called My Child Is Not Fine at School. And within about five minutes of watching it, I said to Dan, I need to have her on the podcast. Um, so here she is. So this week I'm talking to the amazing Dr. Naomi Fisher. Um, Naomi is an independent clinical psychologist and EMDR consultant. So that's eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which I have personally experienced, by the way, not with Naomi. She specializes in trauma, autism and alternative approaches to education. And she works with children, adolescents and adults. She's also the author of Changing Our Minds, How Children Can Take Control of Their Own Learning. And I believe um, being published this year is um, another book, A Different Way to Learn, Neurodiversity and Self-Directed Education. So she runs online courses, which truly are amazing. The value that you get from them um, are incredible. Um, and she also 
to support parents, but she also offers training to professionals. And what I will just say without ruining our conversation is she has incredible inside knowledge into the education system. And actually what's going on behind the mask of parents who have got kids that are struggling, the children themselves, and then what's going on in the system. Let me tell you this, it's not all the same. It's, it's inconsistent. It differs massively. And that's what I just want to say here is that this is very, very timely for me. And I'm kind of talking to Naomi, not just from a a podcast host, but from a mother who has a child who hasn't been fine at school. What I will just say is some schools and often most teachers are wonderful. And it's not been our experience that they haven't been supportive. And usually there is a Miss Honey in most people's schools, right, (laughs) that really see your child. But it's not about that. It's not about teacher bashing or that kind of thing. It's looking at the bigger system in the school environment that just isn't right for some children. On the flip side of that, Naomi shares some real kind of life stories and experiences of parents who have had a really hard time with schools and have been really shamed and blamed and have been kind of pushed towards interventions that aren't working but the parents feel that they have to keep doing it and come on we know how difficult this is let's be really honest about the reality of this we have jobs we have careers we have bills to pay so it's really hard I know how trapping it can feel to what do I do do I take my child out and look at alternative approaches or do I keep going with these interventions because I don't have an alternative right now. You know, it can feel um, like a very kind of difficult decision to make and you feel like you don't have other options. Well, today, I really hope that Naomi is going to shine a light on a path forward and help you think outside the box, but also really validate your reality and your experience and go a bit more deeper into some of these interventions and how can we tell if they are working, what should be happening, what do parents, um, sorry, what do adults do when children are not happy, actually what is going on? And like I said, what is maybe some alternatives moving forward? She's also very, very honest and open about how this it is hard. It's not easy. Parenthood isn't easy. But I love what she says that everything is always changing. And I totally believe that it's not going to stay the same forever. Naomi kindly we talk about a lot in this episode but not I could have gone on not enough (laughs) I could have gone on and on and on and picked her brains but she has kindly offered you the listener a 50% discount off her online course my child is not fine at school it's only 40 pounds anyway so you'll get it for 20 and the code is motherload50 and that's to be used by the 14th of February so I'm going to put that in the link And this is really for you. And I would say that this conversation, this episode is for you if your child is not fine at school. Maybe you've known this for some time, but you're resisting because you feel trapped and don't have an alternative. Or maybe you just lack the support or you believe you need to keep going because this is what the school is telling you. Here's what she says about this course, and it also ties into what we talk about. So your child isn't happy at school. They're protesting in the mornings or having meltdowns in the afternoons. They tell you that they don't want to go and you feel torn between them and the school. 
School are telling you that the answer is to keep pushing as you don't want to reinforce avoidance or behavior. You feel blamed and worry that you aren't doing a good enough job as a parent. It's starting to dominate everything about your family life and doesn't seem to be getting any better. So if you can relate to that, this conversation is for you. Also, on a recent podcast that Naomi did with um, Ed Miliband, it was the guy who does Rethinking Education. He said that there's approximately the statistics for kids not going to school is about a million. So please don't think you're on your own because I know what it feels like that you're the only one. It's not true. And I hope you get as much from this conversation as I did. So without further ado, let's get into episode 32 with Dr. Naomi Fisher. Hi, Naomi. Welcome. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I am really good. Um, I was just explaining actually before we came on that Bonnie is at home and she's playing something rather loud upstairs. Um, <laughs> but That's listeners great. are used to Bonnie making an appearance on this podcast. She, she is a kind of co-host. <laughs> Excellent. Um, but I just wanted to say thank you so much. And I came across you very recently. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting because I was kind of putting it out to the universe that I need some help with Bonnie deciding that, I say deciding, but school isn't right for her. And we'll, we'll get into that. And I was just scrolling social media, as you do. And my friend posted a post by you. And then I went onto your page and I saw that you had a course called My Child Is Not Fine at School. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, what a good name. And this is perfect. And honestly, Naomi, I watched it in one weekend. It is wonderful. It's so validating. And it was just what I needed to hear. So I'd love to center our conversation around that. And um, before I waffle on, I'd love to hear about you and... Mm -hmm who you are, what you do, and your kind of backstory, what's what's led you to do this work? Yeah, okay, so I am a clinical psychologist, um, and I actually, I specialise in trauma, and I also specialise in autism, and those were kind of two separate specialities, and then, and they've come together, as they come together more and more, but originally it was two separate things that I did, and then I myself went to 11 different schools when I was growing up wow. for a variety of reasons. My parents moved around, but I also went to a couple of schools where I was very unhappy and my parents ended up moving me from those schools. So I had that kind of experience. And I think one of the things I experienced moving school so much was I developed a kind of skepticism about what school told you was essential mm-hmm. because they would all tell us different things. So at one school, it was really important to wear the right clothes, for example, and a lot of energy was put into uniform. Another school didn't have a uniform at all, and it just wasn't an issue, and no one ever talked about it. And that went for the curriculum as well. Like, you know, schools would have this thing about how you have to have done the stuff the year before in order to do the next stuff. But the curriculums we followed, we lived in, I lived in different countries. I went to an American school. I went to a Steiner school, went to all sorts of different schools. They followed different curriculums and it didn't actually seem to matter that much. You know, it was like I could catch up on the stuff that I didn't do when I was eight, when I was 12. It just wasn't In fact, it was quite easy to catch up on the stuff that I hadn't done when I was a lot younger, when I was older. And so that made me just think, you know, what is really going on at school and what do we what do we think is going on at school? And maybe the two things aren't quite the same. And then when I had my own children, so this is kind of fast forward a bit further, um, 
I had already worked with children who weren't thriving at school and I'd seen what happens. And my son was a summer birthday. He was a very, very active little boy, very strong willed. And he did not at all. He was not interested in being read to. He wasn't interested in sitting down and doing little anything sort of quiet. He was interested in messy really really messy play getting stuff out making cakes with like everything in the kitchen being really active and I just couldn't see how this was going to work well at our local primary school even though it was an excellent school had really good ratings I could just see that it might go wrong so Mm -hmm. I decided to home educate him and at the time when we started I I thought as lots of parents do I thought you know we'll do it till he's about seven Maybe then he'll be a bit more mature. He'll be ready to go to school. And then what happened was actually the longer he was out of school, the more it was like him and school diverged. So I could see how the schooled children were learning how to be at school. You know, they were learning how to do the things one has to do to be at school. And my son wasn't learning how to do it, be at school. He was learning. He was learning loads of things, but he wasn't learning things like how to sit in a desk, how to um, not, you know, how to put your hand up and wait for things, wait for answers. He wasn't, he wasn't learning how you have to sort of hold your questions. If you've got a question about something, you can't necessarily ask it if the teacher wants you to, doesn't want you to ask it. All those kind of school skills, he wasn't learning. Mm. So by the time he got to seven or eight, it was actually like, oh, actually there's a, you know, now sending him to school seems even more less likely than it did when he was four or five. Mm. And so I think we're probably in this for the long haul. He has a sister who, by this point, we'd also decided to home educate. And then the more I watched them learn, the more convinced I became that there's something really interesting and important going on with children when they learn out of school that most people just aren't aware of. That we usually think that school is education, that we have to, you know, the way to be educated is to go and sit in a classroom with everybody else and be told what you need to learn and to show you've learned it. And I watched my children learning and their process of learning was so much more kind of non-linear, sporadic, like leaps and bounds, interest led. It was so different. And I thought I really need to write about this because I think people don't realize, you know, so often when I talk to people like you, maybe whose children aren't happy at school, they'll often say, well, I know they're not happy at school, but I really couldn't teach them at home. Yeah. You know, because when I try and do their spellings with them, they resist. We spend four hours. I know I can't teach them. Mm. And what they don't realize is you don't have to teach them no. if you take them out of school. You can do things a completely different way. And so I felt that was that was where I started. And then, of course, what happened was as I started talking about this and writing about this and I wrote a book about it, more and more people started getting in touch with me whose children weren't happy at school. So I kind of developed an interest from that on what's happening with the children who aren't happy at school. And I became convinced and I'm very, really convinced that a lot of what's happening to children who aren't happy at school is making the situation worse, not better. And honestly, I told myself the story uh, like some years ago. I couldn't possibly home educate. I'm not a teacher. Like I, yes. I don't, it, and you think about the academic curriculum, don't you? Yeah. And that was just mindset, but it was very much societal. It yes. wasn't really my true values. And I, I always think of the expression: "Not all classrooms have four walls." Mm-hmm. Like it's so, so true. And I, I was so much coming up from what you're saying. <laughs> saying and 11 schools it's almost like you were a unconscious researcher like you had this inside I know amazing yeah Yeah. to see what they're all like from the inside it's incredible really when I think back on it 
um just yeah just to see how differently things are done because most people don't have that experience most people you just you're in one school and you just think that's how it all is and I got to see that it wasn't and I, I often say though that I think the one thing the biggest thing that we seem to learn at school is that school is entirely necessary and that it must happen like this and it's the only way that children can learn and then we carry that on to ourselves as parents. So without even having noticed that we've learned that, you know, we have, so I meet so many parents who, who, when I talk to their children unhappy at school, I talk to them and they say, oh, well, I really hated school. <laughs> and I'm like, that's interesting. So why are you thinking it's going to be different for your child? And they're like, well, I really want it to be different. Yes, I know. But, but why do you think it's going to be different when actually you know all the problems with school. You can tell me about it from your own perspective. It's really interesting, I think, that we we continue to do this to our children when we know, many of us know, that it didn't work for us. I think many of us get locked in patterns that we just kind of repeat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I want to ask you, actually, what being a parent means to you, because this is this is a kind of deep question that me and Dan will ask each other over the dinner table now and again, as <laughs> you do. Like, yeah. what does it actually mean to be a parent? So I'd, I'd love to know is that I can feel there's a bigger mission that like you're so passionate about this work. But what does it mean to you to be a parent? And what's the kind of bigger mission you're committed to before we get into the school stuff? So I think my my understanding of what it's like to be a of what it is to be a parent is to get alongside your child and to help them to become the person that they want to be and that they and it, I, I see it very much as a two-way process being a parent because I think we read a lot of stuff about parenting I've got all the books I'm sure you have about how to do it how to do this and it's all about how to do something to a child And I think one of the things I learned very early on with my children is that actually whenever you do something to a child, there's always the implied consent of that child. There's, you know, it's always if we do this, then they will do this. And then you have a child who says, no, actually, I'm not doing this. And you realize that it's parenting is always a two way process. It's something you and the child do together. And it's an organic kind of dynamic process that has to change as the child changes. And there's just no one way to do it right, because it's about. How do you how do you as a unique adult and that child as a unique child come together and work together to help the child grow and develop? It's so true. Like I had this vision before we had Bonnie (laughs) that we'd be like putting our backpack on and going like camping and all these things. And oh, my goodness. But I do believe I don't know if it's a Caroline Miss quote, but that the next generation is supposed to challenge the generation that gave them birth. (laughs) Yeah. Because we're supposed to break down those structures that aren't working or need a bit of a facelift and upgrade. And I think the education system and health system feeds into this. Yeah. um, So that we can make positive changes. And I believe that, like, I don't, it's not our children's responsibility to change us, but they do hold a mirror up. Mm. And I think it's what we do in response to that. And like your son was born in the summer, Bonnie was a summer solstice baby. And she's come here to teach us some stuff, you know, <laughs> thinking of, thinking yeah. about the force. Um, yeah. And also Dan and I did a parenting course and we've spoken about this and it was much more centered around conscious parenting, but it wasn't about the child. It was about us. Yeah. And it was about us facing our traumas and ghosts in the walls and unprocessed childhood wounds and all this stuff yeah which has been so enlightening and I think what you just said it's about mutual evolution and how we 
grow together mm-hmm. in this kind of sim- symbiotic kind of relationship, which I think is is lovely. And sometimes, as we'll get into, I think that's a hard lesson to learn. Parents resist because we're stuck in that old system thinking we should do it this way and I couldn't mm. possibly home educate because I can't teach math or whatever. But yeah. um, Or we're also stuck. So I was struck by something you said at the beginning there about this idea that you'd stick her in the backpack and off you'd go. And I think so often parents have this vision of what they're going to be like as parents <laughs> and what their child will be like. And actually they miss that that their child might not like camping. <laughs> my, my son doesn't like camping very much. And that we often think as parents that what we do makes children into something. So I, I sometimes give the example of, you know, parents who say, oh, they'll, I can take them anywhere. They'll fall asleep anywhere or they can, they'll eat anything because parents usually say, oh, I think it's because we did this. And I would always be like when my son was younger, yeah, well, we did that too. And my son will only <laughs> eat chicken nuggets or, you know, we did that too. And I absolutely cannot take him everywhere. There's no way he would fall asleep at a party if I took him to a party, you know, <laughs> and it's, like if it, if what you you think you're going to get in the sense of your child chimes with your initial vision then you don't ever learn that actually this was quite a restrictive and controlling vision and you might have thought it was lovely and outside play but actually if that isn't the chart what your child wants it's not lovely you know it's like um one of the things i talk about in my book is is this kind of vision that parents often have that their children will want will really love outdoor play and will want to be outside all the time. And sometimes home educating parents set up kind of, um, you know, learning settings for their children where they all get together and it's just outside. They play in the forest all day. And for the parents, that seems idyllic. They're like, this is perfect. This is what I want. And some of the children are like, well, where's the Wi-Fi? Because Mm. actually, where's the place to sit down? Because actually my vision of the child, where I'd like to be spending my day is I'd like to be spending it at least some of the time playing Minecraft with my friends Mm. and your vision of me being outside in the forest being unstructured isn't my isn't my vision Mm. and and then you've got a clash and that can be just as controlling as the parent who says right I want you learning six musical instruments and five languages because Mm. it's this kind of tunnel vision of the child as this is the way to be this is the childhood that you are going to have and that triggers the adult the parent doesn't it completely it really does and it's how we respond to that trigger yeah and how we move and change and I love what you said at the beginning about being with your child that's something that I learned that quite often I would fall into this avoidant parenting pattern like power under and then mm-hmm. I get really cross and get power over and like the rage but it's yeah. power with it's yes. power with yes. and we're all just walking each other home like yeah. I just oh I love and that I, yeah and I think that's one of the things that's amazing with with home education actually is that you kind of share your power with the child in home education because say usually children if you go to say a home education group generally parents stay and that means that if the child says you know what I've had enough there's that option to leave which isn't there at school so at school the child is stuck in that group until the parent comes to kind of use their power to take them home (laughs) you know whereas in home education, you're always sharing that power with them in a different way because you just there's no point in taking a child to a home ed group and the child doesn't want to be there. There's, there's yeah. just no point. So you don't or you go or you go home. You know, they've got much more power immediately. 
this was exactly the conversation I was having with Dan just before, because I don't want to um, be, you know, give the illusion that this is easy. You know, I do have my little mini meltdowns and this kind of craving for space, but which we'll get into. But I would really love to hear from you. What are you seeing to be the reasons why children aren't fine at school? What are you hearing? I think school is becoming more and more focused on test results and pressure earlier on. And I think what we're doing in schools is not developmentally informed, really. So basically what we're doing is quite early on, we're trying, we're prioritizing a curriculum. That's what's happening in schools. The curriculum is the priority. And in the service of the curriculum, we're going to see how we can get children to learn it. We're going to, and there's all sorts of behavioral policies and strategies, which are effectively about how can we control children so that we can make them learn this curriculum. That's the priority. I don't think that should be the priority of education. I think the priority of education should be how can we create an environment in which these children can learn where they can practice the skills they're going to need in adult life. And a lot of those skills are things like making choices, making decisions, forming relationships with other people. Mm. And actually, I would see that as much more important than are they learning this fixed curriculum? And I think we've got, we we stop, we move away from a play-based curriculum way too early in England, in particular in Wales and Scotland, actually they're moving towards having a longer play-based stage, maybe going play-based up to seven. I think that would be a huge positive step. Mm. But actually what's happening is we're taking really small children, four and five-year-olds, and we're trying to teach them things like phonics. We're trying to sit them in chairs and teach them stuff where they're just not at a stage where that's how they naturally learn. You know, if you look at the child development literature, young children learn through doing things. They learn through exploring. They learn through asking questions. They learn through basically kind of interrogating the world is the way I feel feel about it. You know, they go there, they're like, oh, that's so interesting. I want to learn about that. And we don't go with their strengths. Instead, we go with their weaknesses, which are sitting still and listening. You know, that's something children, young children find that really, really hard. And yet we've got an education system based around them doing that. Yeah. So, of course, we're going to have problems. Yeah. And then what happens is that when we have the problems, parents feel pressure, children feel under pressure and teachers feel under pressure as well. I think teachers are in a really difficult situation because they don't get many choices about this anymore relative to how many choices they might have got when I was at primary school, for example. Mm-hmm. And the pressure kind of goes downwards into the child. So mm-hmm. the child feels the pressure of their parents, the pressure of the teacher, the pre- the teacher feels the pressure of the school and the government. And it's like this massive pyramid of pressure all going down onto the children. And I think what happened with COVID was that a lot of different things, but one of the things that happened was actually that pressure was lifted a bit. And children and families realized that actually, although they say good schoolers, everyone has to go to school all the time. Actually, if something like COVID happens, the governments can close the schools and we don't have to go to school anymore. And everybody was like, oh, that's quite a big, I mean, that's a massive thing to happen, isn't it? None of us ever thought that could happen. The schools closing was lit, wow. But I think having kind of broken that belief that children had that school is just something that happens every day and you just have to go and there's just no choice about it and and broken that for parents as well actually meant that many children were like, actually, you know what? I've seen a kind of vision of a different life and I'd rather have that one. I'd rather learn that way. I'd rather do things differently. Yeah, 100%. Hello, just a little interruption to this episode. 
I just want to share with you that I am now taking on clients for my one-to-one coaching program for 2023. And honestly, like I believe there's time and what you choose to do with it. There's no right or wrong time. And if you're hearing this and it's resonating and you're listening to this episode, then that is happening for a reason. So I actually created my energized mother model with you in mind. Just to clarify, I don't work with new mums. When I say I don't, I do, but I don't per se just work with new mums. I tend to work with high functioning mums who are suffering in silence, who have kind of just got on with it for so long and maybe abandoned themselves or sacrificed their needs in the process of raising their kids. And they realize they're living this kind of legacy of depletion, legacy of living in this kind of inner conflict of exhaustion. And they just know they can feel so much better and they want to bet on themselves and raise their standards and step up for themselves. So this proven four month one-to-one breakthrough pathway is to help you transform unresolved trauma. And what I mean by that, these are the unconscious hidden things that are in our blind spot often and that are holding us back. Sometimes there's really obvious things we've been through that have a huge impact on our identity and who we are and who we become. But often what I see is these drip fed moments that build up like sand that really impact our sense of confidence and self-worth and how we're able to honor ourselves and kind of be the agent in our life. So it's really about transforming those from the roots so that we can release those overwhelming emotions that tend to hijack us when curveballs come our way or our hormonal cycle. (laughs) And this is so that you are free and free is the word to live and parent with more peace, purpose and energy passing down wisdom and not wounds and that's what I really want for you if you are dedicated to changing the narrative for the next generation but also having a bit of fun and living your life in the process this is for you and I combine you've probably heard me on the podcast I combine my nutritional therapy and functional medicine approach and really looking at what's going on underneath the surface at the root and I have a whole load of tools in the toolbox here around functional testing that are open to you and on the other hand I combine that with my transformational coaching and hypnosis and NLP where we really get to do some incredible techniques that unless you experience them they're really hard to explain and actually go back to where these beliefs originated and this is where we do the magic and we can really release them and reframe them but also find the resources that you need to move forward that are normally hidden under life's layers of crap It is transformational. You can read on my website some of the reviews and testimonials and feedback. And I put the link in the show notes for you to go and read that full page. You want to know a little bit more, but also please do reach out because we're all different. And this is a very individual kind of program based on you as an individual. And it's very holistic. So reach out if you want to know whether it's right for you. And I would absolutely love to hear from you. So the link is in the show notes. Go have a read, drop me a message, and we can have a chat. Let's make 2023 your year. Okay, back to the episode. I hear you. And what are some of the actual um, 
the the kind of reasons that you're hearing. So what I see is there's these tangible reasons that mm-hmm. you spoke about in the in the course, but then there's the more intangible because what you were just saying is the child feels the pressure. Yeah. My understanding from being a mum is children speak energy; they pick up on the invisible emotional atmosphere. And yeah. if the parents are under pressure, or there's yeah. interventions being put in place that aren't really acknowledging that child as an individual, mm-hmm. they yeah. pick up on that. So what are some of the more like tangible reasons versus maybe the more invisible reasons to why kids are not okay at school some kids so I think there's there is the amount of pressure there's the way that anxiety is used in schools oh my goodness it's used deliberately that and I think you know as a psychologist it just makes no sense to me that we'd be deliberately making children anxious about stuff so I meet parents all the time who and children and young people who tell me that they're they're told from quite early on if you don't do well at school you're never going to get an interesting job or if you don't even even one one young person said they've been told if you don't do well in your GCSEs you're going to end up under a bridge and you need to be thinking about that now so even like five and six year olds are already coming home and saying oh I'm not going to I'm not going to I might not get a good job because I'm not doing as well as some of the other children so we're putting this we're using anxiety and then lo and behold some of the children get more and more and more anxious, particularly the ones who aren't necessarily performing so well. And the kind of the, the, the mindset that people are in is the anxiety will motivate them to try and do better. But actually what happens is it paralyzes them. It yeah. makes them feel like I can't do this. And the earlier we do that to children, the more destructive it is. So we've got this phonic screening test in England at the it's at the end of year one, isn't it? Where we test all the children, some of them fail. They know that they fail because they've got to do it again the next year. And everybody's worried about that already. So we've just, we've got this system, system yeah. that creates worry and anxiety. And then we say, oh, no, all the children are anxious. <laughs> what do we do? And it's like, well, maybe stop creating the anxiety in the system. And let's see. And let's see if that was different. So I don't know whether that's tangible or intangible, really, by your definition. What do you think? No, well, what you were saying also about when school just doesn't feel right, really hit home, because this is going back to sensory issues, Mm -hmm. uniform, lack of space. And I think you said something in the course about the the playground, which should be the decompression. Yes. It actually is more stressful, and this is what I've seen as well. Just being in a class of 20, 30 kids all day, like I personally know when you think adults reflect back over there, I couldn't do that. I know, I know. You think now and you're like, whoa, how do they, how do we expect them to do this? Um, But I did do that when I was in my late 20s and I chose to go and study naturopathic nutrition because it was Mm -hmm. very passion led. And even though I would, I'd fidget and I'd eat all the way through or like you know I I I was really engaged because it was such a reason and a mission and a purpose for me to be there um and obviously you're treated like adults you can get up and go to the (laughs) toilet I'm hearing that some children can't drink water like we're 60% water yeah Um, that to me is ludicrous and isn't it funny like when they're little and they're nursery they can go to the loo whenever they yeah. want they kind of are self-directed and then it's suddenly taken away yeah and I just weird. find that yeah. I find that strange so when school doesn't feel right it's really hard to put words yeah to articulate even for kids uh, for, for adults how would they how would the kids know 
And I maybe in a way, maybe the things like lockdown enabled the kids to see what was wrong in a way they didn't. Because, you know, like I was talking at the beginning about how as my son got older, I could see the difference between him and school children. And I think with school, there's a very there's a kind of gradual process where they kind of I don't know the word isn't quite seduced, but it's kind of like habituate you. That's what it is. So they start you off with nursery, which is more fun, more relaxed, more self-directed reception which is just a bit less self-directed a bit less fun than year one which is a bit less and it kind of decreases until you get to secondary school where it's often highly controlling very few choices but they've kind of trained you into that so if you're a child who hasn't gone through any of that and then you're back there and you're like my goodness now suddenly they expect to have control every over every aspect of my life you would be like no so and I think I think when you were just talking there about the intangible reasons one of the things I think is a big thing is that we basically take away from children all the strategies that they might use to regulate themselves. Yes. So, you know, if we're having a tough time somewhere, we do fidget, we fiddle, we get up and go to the toilet, we maybe chat to our friend, we drink some water. Those are all strategies to help us keep okay to keep ourselves calm and children aren't allowed to do any of those things you know we create this situation where you've got to sit in your desk and you're not meant to be fidgeting you're not meant to be doodling you're not allowed to go to the toilet you're not allowed to chat to your friend and then we say and why are they why are they upset you know they can't they can't regulate themselves in that environment we, we've taken away the ability to regulate themselves I, I agree and you know I, I'm also diagnosed with, with ADHD and I have my thoughts around that and not getting attached to the label, but motion is very important to me. Motion is where I feel calm and yeah. psychology and physiology are interconnected. Like we can manage our emotional state through movement. Yeah. And, and, you know, this is not to say that the, anything bad against the teachers like there's some wonderful teachers aren't there that will yeah. try and accommodate for the diversity and just for children and who they are but it's really hard when there's big numbers and you're in classrooms and kind of the system is set up against our kind of natural biology and our dna like yeah. that's what i just i, I yes. find. and again um, it's i find it weird that we can do that in early years you know, that it, I find it so odd, like when I talk to secondary school teachers and they talk about 12 or 13 and 14 year olds and I say things like, well, you know, what a difference might it make if, if a young person needed to, they could stand up and go to the toilet just without any issue. And they're like, they they laugh. They're like, ha, we couldn't do that. It would be mayhem. They would all be exploiting it. They would all be going all the time. You know, there would be riots in the toilets. We can't allow that to happen. So I'm like, so what when they're three or four, they're allowed to do that. So what happens? What are we doing to young people between the ages of four and 14, where things that they could do, skills that they had, you know, going to the toilet when you need to and not creating havoc whilst you're there, have not been, they can't do it now they're 14. Mm -hmm. And what are we doing in this process? And shouldn't our process be one where children are getting more and more chances to take responsibility for themselves and for their emotional state, rather than fewer and fewer and fewer, which is what we've got at the moment? Two themes that I identified went through my whole life and through mm -hmm. this kind of personal growth adventure that is motherhood really bubbled up was the lack of autonomy and the lack mm -hmm. of significance. Yeah. And I think ultimately we all want to be seen for who we are. Yeah. And even when you chat to adults and parents, they would probably agree, like feeling seen, feeling valued, yeah. having autonomy. And usually kids make us feel how we feel, right? Like when we peel it back, we want the yeah. same things and it's quite basic. And I just think that's so interesting that that can kind of be 
lost mm-hmm. through this system where I think where kids feel seen and they're nurtured and nourished that actually creates a better environment to learn yes and when you talk to kids about what does make school good or the things that have made school bearable for them it's almost always a particular teacher or a Mm. particular TA who really seemed to see them and get them and parents will say to me you know last year they had a teacher who really got them and it was fine this year they haven't and it's not going fine at all it's all falling apart and yeah I think that that relationship and of course I don't know if you know about self-determination theory and a trin- intrinsic motivation anyway mm. I won't go into it too much but I think it's at the basis of a lot of what humans need to flourish mm. and what they need is um, autonomy they need relationships and they need a sense of purpose and mastery, a sense that they're doing things and they're doing things well. And if you watch a good nursery, that's what's going on. You know, mm-hmm. it's competence and mastery isn't about being really good at something. It's about this sense of, look, I can do this. I can make I can paint. I can make sandcastles. And that increases as the child grows. But we, we're not designing schools around that, those principles at all. We're, and we're designing schools about as if as if childhood is all about learning a curriculum. And it's what we end up craving, like I'm nearly 40 now. Certainly at this time in our life as adults, it's what we end up craving. We start to question ourselves and our life and where we're at and are we doing what we love? Yeah. And you know, so there's so many kind of similarities when we just look at ourselves. Um, I'd love to ask you, what do you adults assume is going on? Because there's kind of the whole bullying behavior yeah. what, what what are some of the assumptions when a child doesn't when school doesn't feel right for a kid what are some of the assumptions that are made because we tend to focus on the kid yes and not true. the environment so often the assumptions are a that maybe the child's being bullied b maybe the child has some kind of special educational need and I mean, I'm not saying that they don't, they may do, but that's often the assumption that that the system would fit other children, but it's not working for them. Um, or they assume that it's irrational, irrational anxiety, that they've become anxious about it for no real reason. And that if we keep on pushing them in, and in fact, the other thing that comes up is people assume it's problems at home, which I think is quite interesting. It's often the assumption that This is what parents tell me schools say to them that if a child is struggling at school, it's because something isn't right at home and therefore it's the parents who have to make the change. So a really common scenario that I hear about is the child who is apparently fine at school, seems to be kind of, you know, managing and then they come out of school and all hell breaks loose. They're really distressed, really upset or else really shut down. It could go either way. And the parents say to the school, look, you know, this is what happens after school. And the school will say, well, they're absolutely fine here. So the problem must be at home. Why don't you put in place what we do at school, like behavioral systems or, you know, basically let's control them more. And the way I see that is children feel safe to show us their distress when we they where they when they show us their distress in that way, it's because they feel safe to do so. And they feel safest typically with their parents. And so that's why they're showing you. And I think that's, unfortunately, I think there's quite a strong assumption running through the way that we approach school attendance issues, for example. The the assumption is that it's a problem with the parents. And we see that going through our government. You know, right now, if parents, if children aren't attending school, parents will get threatening letters saying you've got to make them. 
basically. Or if you don't make them, we'll give you, we'll fine you and we'll take you to court. So the assumption there is that it's a failure on the part of the parents rather than a problem at school. That is so distressing and so much pressure for the parents, mm. though, isn't it? And so shaming because I horrible. I've seen, I've seen yeah. just in like forums and Facebook groups about parents have been threatened and like just the stress, and then obviously that stress feeds back into the family dynamic, and you you just don't know what people are dealing with behind closed doors. I think there needs to be more of that compassion and joined up approach, and it just makes me think that when a flower doesn't bloom fix the environment not the flower absolutely we can't fall it's like going in there and forcing the flower to open up isn't it it's like we're going to peel you open yeah yeah. and and then we end up labeling because you put all these different labels like oh my goodness like emotional based school avoidance anxiety based school avoidance yeah which basically just mean the child doesn't want to go to school because they're not happy <laughs> when they're there. That's what it means, emotionally-based school avoidance, if you pick it apart. and But it's interesting that then what we think is we need to stop the child, we need to change the child's emotions, which if you think about it, the basic assumption there is there's nothing wrong with the school. Schools are good. And this is the problem is the child. And I think, I think that all of these things have they mean that we don't hear the feedback that children are giving us about the system because we frame all of their feedback as bad behavior or as anxiety and in fact even anxiety can be used as a way to kind of neutralize the child's feedback so you know a child says i don't want to go to school and we say oh you're anxious about it well yes okay but maybe they're right to be anxious about it because, you know, if I'm made to go somewhere where I'm not really happy, I'm anxious about that. When I've done jobs where I haven't I haven't enjoyed them, I've been really anxious when I've been when I felt I had to go. And we are re- we are not seeing the emotions as a reaction to the situation. Instead, we're seeing the emotions as the problem or the behavior is the problem. So, you know, children are, with the whole approach of sending parents letters and threatening them with fines is basically seeing children who don't go to school as behaving badly and not being not their parents not insisting on firm boundaries and if their parents insisted then everything would be different I think it's just so short-sighted and it doesn't see the struggle that people are going through at all it's just it's yeah and it's really damaging I think it's really damaging for families Uh 100% and anxiety is a symptom yeah it's a reaction it's a reaction you're absolutely right and the the masking thing like kids mask especially girls like I've seen this so many times yeah they're fine they're perfect at school and then they just fizz up like a a, a fizzy (laughs) bottle of coke you know they feel safe and absolutely understand that and I think it's really interesting like this is why the podcast came about because it's dangerous to Mm -hmm. self-silence it's dangerous to think that you can't express yourself and Mm -hmm. be okay whatever emotion comes up and that we do kind of swallow it and we know what happens later on in life where the adults are in therapy (laughs) so you know I think this need to kind of encourage expression and not name the emotion as being the problem is so so important and I just want to come back to you kind of behind the mother mask what are you seeing the parents that come to you and the parents that you interact with, 
because oh my goodness like I've been through this whole array of kind of emotions that it's my fault yeah. and failure should be able to do this to know and this more <laughs> no the system and then yeah. oh but what about my space like I'm gonna have to give up my career I'm gonna have yeah. to um, educate so we resist and yeah. if, I'm being really honest here Dan and I both admitted that Bonnie going to school was more convenient to us. It suited mm-hmm. us more than it did her. And mm-hmm. we're being very honest there. Yeah. And actually, both of us are looking to change our lifestyle. And Bonnie's been the leader of that. She's shown us what's important, getting back to nature uh, and just changing how we live and where we live. And what I believe is really happening is she's leading out of an like the old structure environment doesn't suit us but oh my goodness we resist we hold on <laughs> because what's on the other side it's really and frightening I, yeah. yeah I'd love to just hear what you're hearing if there's mums listening to this thinking oh, I know it's not right for my kid but I don't know what else to do what yeah. are you hearing um, well, but basically yeah. it's never a convenient choice to do something that's so different to the mainstream mm-hmm. it's never easy you never like when we chose and, it, and it's never not frightening. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that it's, you know, I think of it a bit like you're in your, your comfort zone. And even if your comfort zone isn't very comfortable, it's where things are familiar and safe. Exactly. And, you know, you know, you know how school works. You know, you put them into school and they'll go up each year. And at the end, they'll take GCSEs, you know, and you know how the system works. And the thought of doing something different is like uncharted territory. It's like, my goodness, we couldn't do that. You know, how would we do it? And I do, and I, lots of parents say exactly what you've said. It's like, you know, we have to work, we have to do this. Um, and I completely hear it's never easy. It's never, you know, the, the world is not set up for you to take your child out of school. Absolutely not. And I think that maybe if we were more honest sometimes about the fact that a lot of the function of school is childcare, it's children being somewhere else so that their parents can work then maybe we could actually take a bit of a different approach to it because we go through this whole thing about, you know, it's well basically about the curriculum and that they've got to learn these things. And actually, I think, you know, if we were able to say, right, children need to be somewhere else so that their parents can work. So how can we make that place good for children? How can we make it a place that's nice for children that they want to go to? We'd start off with a different set of principles, wouldn't we? Our schools would be different, more like, again, early years. Um yeah, but I mean, it, it's always hard, and I haven't met families for whom it's not hard. Um, and when so when I gave up when I started home educating my son, my children, I gave up a job which was actually my dream job. It was actually wow. the job that I had wanted. You know, I had been. It was just like, and I just got it. And then, in fact, what happens? I had my second child, and it became really clear to all of us that it wasn't going to work for me to to be I couldn't we just couldn't do it and it wasn't going to work for him to go to school because basically school wasn't going to be the childcare option for us that we'd assumed it would be and that most people assume it will be and when you have a child for whom it doesn't work like that then actually you're pretty well pushed to make these decisions because if you're I don't know what happened with you but lots of parents will say you know I can't rely on them going to school and I can't rely on them staying once they once they get to school because I might have the call from the school to say, you know, I'm sorry, they're too distressed. Can you come and get them after an hour? Or they might say, we can't manage their behaviour. Can you come and get them? Which effectively means that parents often lose their jobs anyway. I, I talked to one mother who said, yeah, my employer said you have to choose. You can either keep on responding to these calls from the school or you're going to have to leave this job. And she's like, well, where's the choice there? There's no choice. <laughs> I can't stop responding to the calls from the school. Yeah. You know, I, I have to be, my children have to be my priority. 
Um, so I think people have to think really flexibly. And what we did was I did give up my job. Um, and what I did was I started working evenings and Saturdays for a while, which was one of the most hardcore things I've ever done. So basically my husband worked during the days, he would come back, I would hand over the children and off I would go and do an evening of work. Um, and it was really hard, but it has got easier. And I think that's the thing that I would tell parents. It's really hard. It, it, whatever you are right now is not where you're going to be forever. Yes. You know, your child will grow. They will become more capable. You'll be able to leave them for a bit. Like now I can do some work with my children in the house. They're 11 and 14 now. I couldn't have done that even like a year or two ago. I could not have done any work with them in the house. But now I can. And everything is changing all the time. So you're really you need, you need to work out how things can be right now. What can we how can we make things work right now, knowing that that isn't forever? So you might be giving up something that you really like and you really wish you could do right now. It doesn't mean you won't be able to do it in a year or two years, three years time as they grow. Um, so that's yeah, that's that's a bit about the, the process, I suppose, of deciding. And it's just never easy. I think it's useful to know it's never easy. It's never obvious. It's I don't know a family who doesn't go through huge wobbles when they choose to to do something like take their children out of school. It's such a good reminder. And it is a roller coaster. And I think the thing that keeps it a little bit steady or at least helps you put your seatbelt on is communication. Mm-hmm. Like for me and Dan to keep yeah. communicating and, and whatever your support network looks like. And to know that change is inevitable and it is always changing and we are growing together. And I think for us is just to look at the opportunities within that change mm-hmm. as well, yeah. but also come back to your values. Like, mm. like I said to you, what does it mean to be a parent you're like walking with, with and, yeah. and allowing them to really like evolve into the person that they are. And, and this is ultimately I think when we come back to it, and I'm going to come on to it now, is the importance of relationship. Mm-hmm. And, and I know when I was doing the parenting stuff, they described attachment as being the thing that transcends all space and time. Mm-hmm. And if we think I'm really into um, transgenerational trauma, Naomi, mm-hmm. so I work with trauma too. And I find it such an interesting story that we get to change the narrative through these kind of echoes of love and through the attachment and the relationship And it's not about getting it right. It's about being completely human and showing that full expression of humanness with your child and repairing where necessary. But you reminded me through your course about trust Mm -hmm. and how children can lose trust sometimes where we're basically sort of making them go to school when it doesn't feel right and how important it is to rebuild that and how important the relationship, it always comes back. And I'd love to talk about that. But before, if we've got time, just a little bit on the interventions, because this was yeah. quite mind blowing for me. What mm-hmm. the intervention put in place and how they should work. Yeah. The interventions, yes. So you mean interventions for school attendance now, yeah? Right, exactly. Yes. So if people are going through the, the, the situation, yeah. their child's not happy, the school are doing what they can to help. Tell yeah. me about that. So often what happens when children aren't happy attending school is there are a couple of things that parents are told. One is that they're told they must not let their child avoid school because if they do that, their anxiety will become worse. And they're also told they need to make home less pleasurable because that way children will choose to go to school rather than home. I think both of these things are really damaging. And I'm, I really, when I, I, when I started working in this area, I was actually surprised when parents told me this, I thought this can't be happening, but now I've looked into it. It's happening across the board. This is what's happening. Parents are being told. 
The reason these two things are problematic is this. So the first, so let's think about the anxiety one first. So basically there's this very, there's a lot of evidence in psychology that when you avoid something that makes you anxious, you can become more anxious about it. So for example, if I have a bad experience with a dog, say a dog barks at me really loudly and I get really scared, and then I start avoiding all dogs, my anxiety about that is going to get bigger. Yeah, I'm going to be more and more anxious about dogs. And soon I might avoid all dogs. And then maybe I'll start avoiding going uh, going outside at all because I don't want to see a dog. So when that is the case, then it does help to try gently to stop avoiding seeing dogs. Because what's happening is you're not allowing your brain to have the reparative experiences it needs. And what it needs is to see lots of dogs that aren't barking and aren't frightening and to feel safe when you see a dog. So you need to have lots of reparative experiences in order to start to feel safe with dogs again. That works fine when it's irrational anxiety about something like most dogs aren't actually frightening. They won't bite you. They're not going to attack you. And you're okay to feel okay around them. If a child is really unhappy at school, and there are lots of reasons why a child can be really unhappy at school, and lots of them are good reasons, then if we frame that as irrational anxiety, We are basically saying we need to make you go to school so that you're going to learn that it's safe. The problem is that it doesn't feel safe for that child. It's it's not it's not that it's not like a dog barking when they've got really scared. It's actually this environment doesn't feel good for them. It isn't the right environment for them. So what we're doing then is we're repeatedly pushing them into an environment that isn't good for them. And with children in particular, this kind of you mustn't let them avoid thing very quickly turns into we're going to make them do it. So as a psychologist, there is never a point where we'd say, right, the way we're going to make you less anxious is we're going to force you to do this thing. Because when you do that, you've taken the agency away from that child. You've taken their autonomy away from them and you've actually created a fearful situation. You've created a situation where they're going to feel really, really, really afraid that they're going to be forced into school. And each time you do that, you're actually creating another trauma memory. So we've got this situation where actually it it traumatizes children. What's happening is this don't avoid, which means keep pushing them in, actually ends up in them becoming more and more fearful of school. So that's the forcing into school bit. Then the other bit is the don't make home pleasurable, make home less pleasurable. Don't interact with them too much during school hours. Don't let it be too interesting. This one really horrifies me because basically, if you think about it, we've got a child who's unhappy at school. They're okay at home. And what they're saying is makes home more unhappy so that they will choose to go to school instead. Mm -hmm. So instead of saying, let's make school better, we're saying, let's make home worse. (laughs) and effectively to force them into making choosing school as the least bad of the two options you know which I just think is so if you it it, how if you thought about doing that to an adult you say this adult's really unhappy at work well we don't want to encourage them not to go to work so let's make sure that if they take a day off work they're not allowed to watch anything on Netflix they're not allowed to use their phone they're not allowed to use the computer we won't talk to them too much we won't go out or anything they've just got to sit in the front room possibly some parents even told me tell me they're told they've got to get their children into their school uniform sit them there from nine to three and not do very much with them so that they will choose to go to school. Already. I can't believe that. It, it's a route to depression. <laughs> it's a route to depression for everybody. And the bit that actually really horrifies me about it, which connects with what you're saying about relationships, is it puts the parent in the position of making these, of putting these interventions onto children that make them 
unhappy and anxious. So it breaks that trust you were just talking about. It breaks the trust that a child has that the parent is their safe place. The parent is the one who will listen to them because suddenly the parent is saying, for your own good, I'm not going to allow you to do anything interesting during the day. It's just, I just find it horrifying. And the last bit about it, which I really think is very short-sighted, is it stops children from learning. So if a child is outside school, they learn through all sorts of things. They'll be learning through playing games. They'll be learning through talking to their parent. They'll be learning by going out to the shops. They'll be learning by watching YouTube. All those things will help them learn. If we restrict their environment and say, no, we're not going to go out with you. We're not going to take, we're not going to take you to the shops. We're not going to do any of these things because that would be rewarding your non-attendance at school. We block them from learning. So we put them in this position where the only place they can learn is school. And if they can't go to school because it makes them really, really unhappy, then we've basically set up a lose-lose situation for them. Wow. One of my fears is that Bonnie was just going to watch TV all day, right? Yeah. I'm sure you hear this all the time. Yeah. And for a while, she did. Yeah, she did watch yeah. a bit, but then she stopped and she started playing. Now, yeah. I've not, the school has never said that to me, what you've just said, but I, yeah. you know, I believe that's, you know, what you hear and that is shocking. Um, but I have almost done that not that but I'm like you can't watch tv if you're at home you can't do this you can't do that and you know the voice inside of me is like but you have to replace it with something they can do like you can't Mm -hmm. say that but that's just me coming from my stress this transition into oh my goodness things are changing I feel trapped as Mm -hmm. I'm sure she does and I have said stuff like that I've never made it really horrible environment Mm. but I have just said you can't watch tv all day and but it's interesting how that she started turning it off and playing and self-directed playing and that's so common that's it's like I think of it like a bounce back that you basically they come out and they need time to recover when they come out they if they stop going to school because you've been in this tension all the time they've been in this tense situation where it's like are we going to go to school today I really don't want to go to school tension between child and parent so you drop that tension and it's like you've got this period of recovery and often they all they'll want to do is watch tv for a while or play video games for a while and parents like oh my goodness what have we done we've taken them out of school and now look they're doing nothing and they're not doing nothing they are recovering and if you carry continue to provide opportunities for them and to be alongside them. And I say to parents, get alongside them. If what they're doing is watching TV, get alongside them and watch that TV with them. You know, don't make your presence conditional on them doing the things you want them to do. Mm. So, because if you can get alongside them, I, I often talk about My Little Pony. My children had a really intense phase when they were younger of watching My Little Pony. And I thought, My Little Pony, this is going to be rubbish. Actually, I watched it with them. And oh my goodness, My Little Pony, psychological drama of the highest level. <laughs> All sorts of stuff going on. So many exciting conversations about who thought this, who did this, why did they do this? It was great. But I would have totally not done that if I hadn't sat down with them and watched it. I'm just grateful Bonnie likes Scooby-Doo because I can get my head around that. Um, oh, mysteries. We really right, like Scooby-Doo. Exactly. Who did it? Yeah. Like looking behind the mask. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah. And so many things can spark off Scooby-Doo. We had a strong Scooby-Doo phase here. And my son is still into mysteries and murder mysteries now. He's always been interested in them. But Scooby-Doo like sparked all sorts of things where we would write our own mysteries. We would write our own songs about mysteries. You know, anything can spark off learning. 
So I want to ask you about thinking outside the box. I'm respectful of your time. But just yep. before that, I hear a lot of parents say, I don't, they don't tell me anything. I don't mm-hmm. know what's going on. And we know that communication isn't always communicative. It can be behavioral. Yeah. Um, for me, it was, Bonnie didn't want to go. So getting yep. her out of the house was really hard. And then we had the fizzy bottle of pop at the end of the day. Yeah. And obviously the shutdown and the masking. You had some really good advice for kind of getting in their shoes and going through their day. So oh, for yeah. people that are struggling to get to engage and connect with a child and actually hear from their child what's going on what would you recommend so I think yes it's unrealistic to ask to for children necessarily to know what's going wrong why they don't like it so what I say to parents is get in tune with what you know about your child you're likely to know your child better than anybody else Mm -hmm. and if you get yourself get in tune with what you know about your child and you think through their day at school what are the things that you like are likely for them to be finding challenging? For example, if you know your child finds loud, busy places really difficult, where are they having to go into loud, busy places? If you know your child finds, finds transitions difficult, what's going on with those transitions at school? Because school is full of transitions and it becomes more and more full of transitions as they get older. If you know your child is somebody who manages about an hour or so with being with other people and then actually they need a bit of space to go off and be by themselves, how is that happening at school? What's going on? So, and because often I think what happens is that parents, parents are encouraged by schools to kind of switch off that awareness of their children. When the school says, oh, but they're fine here, yeah. parents parents think maybe I'm wrong yeah maybe I don't get it maybe I don't really understand my child as well as they do and schools will say things like we understand children we've got you know 200 children here or a thousand children here they don't understand your child as well as you do they are never going to they only see your child in that context you know your child and their emotional well-being and how they respond to situations and if you think through that school day I think I mean, in an ideal world with an older child, you can actually go through it with them. So you can say, could we spend a bit of time and just go through what your day is like? What's it like when we get there and and I drop you off in the mornings? What's it like when you do this? But with a younger child, you'll need to do it yourself. But you'll need to really let yourself feel. And sometimes parents find that really distressing because, you know, if if it's your biological child, you've got a genetic link with them. And some of what they're feeling is likely to be some of what you felt. So often... As you do it, you know, you'll be going through it and you'll be, gosh, and and they'll and you might think, wow, they probably find this bit really difficult. And it'll be because you remember finding that bit really difficult, but you didn't have any way to express it and you just had to push it away. Oh, my God, honestly, like so, so true. And I think also what you were saying about the interventions, they should be time limited. They should work. They should drag on for like two years Mm. where we're because teachers do come and meet you where you're at and they do try and help. Yeah. These interventions need to be time limited. Yes. Yes. Because they're meant to lead to change. They're not just meant to be. We're doing this forever. Like we're not going to make home miserable forever. (laughs) I do talk to parents who are like three years into this journey where their child isn't able to attend school and they're like well we're still stopping them from playing anything at home it's like oh my goodness that child's life is going to be really boring and really miserable and of course that's going to have an impact on them and just to finish how can we start to do better and think outside the box so we've kind of exhausted those interventions we've tried and now we're at the point where okay we need to do something differently whatever that looks like Mm. what are some of your suggestions for thinking outside the box and I am going to put the link to your course in the show yeah everyone needs to go and see that and read your book so what do I think 
are the interventions you mean what can you do with your child your child yes if maybe school isn't an option anymore thinking outside the box how can we approach oh well well if you just make that decision to take your child out of school then I think the first thing to realize is what you do at home does not have to look anything like school at all it really doesn't there are other ways that and um which are recognized of home education so I talk a lot about self-directed education that's what my book's about and basically what it means is that we're the child remains in control of what they're learning. The child is the one who chooses what they learn, how they learn it, and they choose when to stop. And the when to stop bit is really important because often when parents think about self-directed education or home education that isn't formal, they think of it as just kind of unstructured free play. And sometimes it looks a lot like that and a lot of it is like that. But actually, self-directed education can include a child deciding to do a course in something. They might say, I really want to learn about this karate maybe I'd like to go and do it okay great if you can facilitate that you facilitate it but they also need to be able to say you know what I've done enough karate now I want to stop and sometimes parents get really invested in things their children want to do so they'll be like oh great finally you know we've had two years they haven't wanted to do anything and now they say they want to do this brilliant let's get it going I buy the uniform get all invested in it and now the child's like actually I don't want to do it and their parent says no you've got to keep going because you know look at all I've I've invested in this so I think part of the skill of taking a different approach with children is it's allowing yourself not to get so invested in the choices they make because that's the way that we allow their choices to come and go we need to allow them to say no to things that's absolutely fundamental they have to be able to say no because for lots of children unless they can really feel and say no, they aren't actually able to say yes to stuff. That is such a good point because what is the message in the coaching scene and on Instagram for adults saying no, boundaries? They were (laughs) instilling it early on. I'm aware of the time. I just have one last question. Yeah. Why do you think so many mums, this is directed at mums' podcast, but parents mask and suffer in silence? And what would be your words of wisdom here? So I think a lot of parents think it's their fault. Yeah. A lot of mums feel it's their fault. If their children are suffering, their children aren't doing well, they they feel blamed, they feel everybody else is doing it better. If only I was a different kind of parent, it wouldn't be like this. What I know from my work is that there you never know what is behind somebody's front. Yes. You know, people walk, I'm a therapist, people walk in through my door, I would have no idea until they start telling me about just how difficult and complicated their lives are. They appear all put together. So you might think everybody's put it together. But what you're doing there is you're comparing your inside and what you know about your inside to everybody else's outside and their front. And social media is particularly awful for this, that you everybody presents the best side of them on social media and other parents are like, but their children are doing this and winning prizes and get doing so well and thriving. I can tell you, those parents, I've met, I talked to those parents too, and they feel this terrible pressure to put on this front doesn't mean that they're not actually really struggling with stuff. So that's, so the message I would have for parents is, Lots of other people are struggling too. You're not the only one. Find support and it's not your fault. Oh my God, I love that. I love how you just said comparing your insides to the outsides of others. Like, thank you for saying that. It has been wonderful. And look, we're within time. Brilliant. (laughs) It's been great to talk to you, Annie. Thank you so much. And I'll put all the links to where people can find you and your courses and your books. And I'm so, so grateful. And I hope you have a good rest of your day. Wow. Thank you so much, Naomi. That 
has been so, so helpful. And like I just keep saying, perfect timing. And I hope that you have got as much out of that as I did. Please do let me know. I really love to hear from you and I'd love to really hear how these episodes are resonating. And even if it's like one thing, one thing that you've heard and one thing that's really kind of resonated with you and helped you, please let me know. I've put the link to Naomi's course, My Child Is Not Fine At School, in the show notes. That discount is available until the 14th of February and you get 50% off. So I put the discount code there as well. It is not a long course, but if this, if you can relate to this and this is your life and your experience, oh my goodness, it is worth investing in. And if you feel called to, please do go and leave me a review. I don't know how to do that, but I do believe that it helps spread the message which is so, so important because honestly, you just don't know what's going on behind closed doors. You don't know what's going on behind the mask and what people, mothers, you are struggling with. So please do share and yeah, leave me a review and check out that course and let me know what you thought of this episode. Amazing. Take care and I will be back next week with another episode of Behind the Mother Mask.